This is Power to Become the Podcast. Today, I have a really awesome guest, Ernest Lopez. Hi, everybody. Really happy to, to be a part of this podcast. Really appreciate the invitation from BYU-Idaho to, to join in on this podcast series. In true Power to Become fashion, today, our conversation is going to be really a tell-your-story moment. I'm just going to let you start kind of like go from the beginning and let the story unfold. Yeah. This, so this story re- relates or is a story from my volunteer service in the church, which is uh, a missionary experience that I had. It's It's been, I don't know, maybe 23 years uh, since that period. And yet that that experience still influences me today. And so that's, that's you know, that's kind of why I bring it up now. You know, I think maybe a, a month or so before I turned 19, I submitted my application to volunteer as a, a full-time missionary for two years. Probably within a couple of weeks of submitting my application, the president of the church uh, at the time, Ezra Taft Benson, passed away. We knew in my, in my ward <clears throat> that when you submit your application, you normally got your assignment or mission call within probably two or three weeks. That was the case for friends before me, and it had been the case for a few for many years, I think. So that was just kind of my expectation. But then uh, for me, I think it was probably more like six weeks. Okay, yeah. So what was going through your mind during that time, especially because you have your friends who are getting theirs in a couple of weeks, and you had to sit there and wait as if a, you never knew it was going to come. I don't think that they had like a tracking number on your call, so. Yeah, no tracking number. Um, And, you know, I knew it would come. um, It's complete trust that the process would work. And and I I didn't know for sure, like, why it was taking so long, but I suspected it was because of the transition between from one president to to the next. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also knew that the president of the church signed, um, I think, personally signed each each and every mission call. So I wasn't surprised. Although at the same time, I wasn't certain as to why it was taking so long. But, um, and the other thing I did not know is like how long it would take. Like, okay, well, am I going to be waiting, you know, four weeks instead of two or three? Or am I going to be waiting eight weeks? Like, I just had no idea. But, um, you know, the reason I mentioned this is, is that, and, and I was fine, by the way, with, with, with whatever the outcome was. Um, I'm not, I wasn't about to put a timeline on, on the president of the church, but, um, nor, nor could I, but, um, yeah, <laughs> but the reason I mentioned this is it's a little bit of a foreshadowing into kind of the rest of my mission experience where there were, where there were some pretty unexpected, uh, events from the time that you got your call. How long did you end up waiting? Because where did you get your call to? So I received my call to, uh, serve in the Portugal Lisbon North mission. They speak Portuguese, uh, okay. and uh, you know, for the first like minute after seeing my assignment, I, I actually thought it was in maybe South America at first. Oh, and I realized or looked on a map in Portugal is actually in Europe, <laughs> right near Spain, <laughs> which yeah. in hindsight is kind of, it's kind of embarrassing to admit that, uh, it's basic geography, but yeah, Portugal is in Europe. And so, yeah. How long were you waiting to tell your actual report date? So I reported into the Missionary Training Center on September 18th. And did you go to the one in Provo or was there a different one? Provo. That you went to. 
Okay. A good friend of mine picked me up. You know, I didn't have family members that, that were in the church. Um, mom stayed back in San Jose, um, saw me off at the airport. Um, and so a friend of mine picked me up um, at the airport in Salt Lake City, um, you know, took me out to eat, maybe went to pick up a last item or two for the, for the mm-hmm. mission from, from the shopping mall. Uh, and then from there, he dropped me off um, uh, at the at the missionary training center. I think he sat in in the orientation session uh, with me, which at that time there were orientation sessions where yeah. friends or family could join in on. Yeah, it's it's different now. It's kind of just like a curbside drop off. Yeah, that's what I've seen. <laughs> Probably in week seven of eight, I and along with uh, a, a few other missionaries in my group or my district were, were told that we would actually not be going to Portugal and uh, we would be instead going to Boston, Massachusetts. And I, I mentioned shopping a minute ago. I, like I was completely prepared to go to Portugal. I mean, I had like my whole set of outfits ready for kind of the Portugal weather, uh, which was, yeah. And, and, more importantly, um, just kind of mentally, um, you know, I was, I was prepared for Portugal. You know, we had had this intense kind of study of the Portuguese language. And even before the missionary training center, I I had been thinking about Portugal, doing some research on the country, learning about the culture. And, and also just kind of, I had been imagining in my mind, like, you know, what the people would be like and what the conversations would be like and how I might kind of best approach things and approach people. And then on top of that, um, having joined the church just about a year and a half prior to um, starting my mission in September, I had this huge, huge, I would say, enthusiasm and also, you know, just personal kind of witness uh, about about the message I was sharing. And so besides just mentally preparing to, you know, interact with the people in Portugal, I was like, I was really on fire and, and just had a really strong desire to kind of share with them specifically kind of the joy that I had just discovered. That That was all kind of the building up to being diverted to to Boston in an unexpected way. Especially when you see your future and you get super excited about that. You start to like picture yourself there. When that kind of gets taken away, it's it's almost like the grieving stages. Like you're in <laughs> denial and then you have to accept it. I don't actually know them. I'm probably going through them right now. <laughs> but yeah, it's it it's tough. And so you finished your six weeks was it six weeks in the MTC? Well, I think we did eight weeks. Um, okay. Yeah, I probably found out about the Boston assignment seven weeks into it. Yeah. Mm. And, so it was know, like close. And I and I obviously had expectations of going somewhere else, but I also was, you know, like I, I, I worked really hard to be, you know, obedient and to have a positive attitude like about any situation. So I wasn't going to Boston dragging my feet at all. Um, it was more kind of, you know, I think emotionally it was a challenge, like because of the unexpectedness of it, I was very willing to go there and, and, and just do my mm-hmm. best there and, and kind of to, to be as hardworking as possible. I remember watching, sitting in the heart auditorium and watching your PTB talk mm. and, and like, I, how, how do I say this? I believe you, like, I'm, I, I'm sure that you were like prepared and even though you wanted to be in Portugal, you, you were ready to go to Boston, but I remember you showed a picture and you're like, I was not a happy camper. Yeah. <laughs> and even like, I think in the recordings of your of your clip, like it shows that picture. And I remember watching it. I'm like, 
I, I've felt like that before. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was stressed out. You know, I was trying to be hardworking and I actually was hardworking. I was trying to be obedient. I was at the same time, there was definitely kind of, I would say a cloud over me. There's no denying that. Um, and I was, you know, I was definitely struggling. Uh, yeah. in in, in a number of ways. So, and yep. so I think if you ask anyone that's ever served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, that first night is kind of an unforgettable night because it's just like you're in a new place. You're in a different bed. You're not going to sleep as Ernie or Marco. You're now you haven't you don't have a new name, but like you're now Elder Lopez or Elder Reyes and you're a new person. What, what was happening on that first night? You know, I had been assigned uh, a companion that I was going to you know, needed to be with basically 24 seven. And he was a more experienced missionary, uh, which was great. And we ended up in a, in an, a home in South Boston and it was a really rundown place. I mean, like there were kind of the wooden floors were kind of not stable. There was, <laughs> frankly, there was like piles of garbages, which Garbage, oh. which was um, not not the fault of the landlord. It was uh, us as missionaries, I guess. But oh. <laughs> so I, I arrived in this very kind of unwelcoming uh, living situation. Actually, the the mission president walked into our apartment a couple of weeks later, and then within two or three days, that place was shut down. It was that bad. Um, Wait, just from like mess and. The, uncleanliness. Be, not so much because of the mess. Um, I think more it was like a really old, um, rundown kind of broken in a number of ways, whether it was mm. the flooring or maybe other aspects. I don't remember details really. It basically is just kind of an unacceptable, um, living situation for really for anyone. Um, okay. but that was my first night, uh, you know, in the, in Boston was arriving <laughs> to that, um, that aside, I, I felt like I was in a dream. It was surreal because, again, I, I was thinking I would be somewhere else at this point um, of the mission, um, somewhere on the other side of, of the world. Um, but Very accurate in, description. Yeah. So, I was in Boston. Again, not that it was, it, it was ultimately it was not a bad place at all, but just compared to what my expectation was, I think that's what kind of made it like a, a, a surreal or sort of dreamlike experience. And then woke up the next morning and it, and it was kind of like the question of, am I really here <laughs> in Boston, <laughs> Massachusetts? What am I doing here? <laughs> you know, I talked to as many people as I could. Talking to as many people as possible was one thing, but another, an, another part of it was just the anxieties of the situation. I never knew from one day to the next, like, would I be in Boston for one more week or would I be in Boston for the rest of my two-year mission? Mm. I literally did not have any clarity on that. I assumed that I would be in Portugal eventually. Um, that was the assumption of my mission president in Boston also. But no one, not even my mission president, 
nor even the church knew how long I would need to be in Boston. It's weird that 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 kind of uncertainty, at least for me, was a huge weight on my shoulders. You know, maybe some people deal with uncertainty better than I did, but it actually was something that weighed me down. Like you mentioned, you saw a picture of me in Boston and I looked pretty unhappy. And I think that that was one of the reasons behind it was the uncertainty of just not knowing where I would be headed from from one week to the next. Yeah. Well, how did you cope with that? That much uncertainty can sometimes stop your life, you know, just completely put it to halt and you don't want to do anything. True. Yeah, it can actually paralyze you. And it did paralyze me for, I would say, for for brief moments. You know, there was a time where I was in an apartment and uh, another missionary in, in my apartment who was also po- supposed to go to Portugal. He got a phone call and, and I overheard the whole thing. And it was basically, um, Elder Wegman, you will be going to Portugal. Pack your bags. You're leaving tomorrow morning. And I was sitting there like, and what about me? <laughs> uh, but I was never asked to pick up the phone and, 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 I, and I actually did not get that same kind of good news. And uh, it, was, it was paralyzing. I, I literally went to my room and I just kind of sat there sort of balled up, um, physically kind of cramped over or curled over, you know, completely devastated that, that I wasn't able to, to get on that same flight. Mm-hmm. And and again, not knowing like when I would or if I would. And so, yeah, it can paralyze you. And the way I dealt with it was, you know, I just let those moments pass. And um, and then I did what I could to be as productive as possible. So for me, it was all about like just being obedient, like, okay, doing what I'm asked. You know, if I'm asked to kind of go out and talk to people or go out and, um, you know, teach people in their homes, then then that's what, that's the program that I would be following. And that was for me, my way of kind of just moving on and and kind of being productive. Uh, And I think that that probably helped. I'm sure it helped um, mentally and emotionally as well. But it had to be so hard, I'm sure. Because it, it, like we were talking about earlier, you visualize it. You, You saw yourself in Portugal. You got to know as much as you could about the country before you were there. And, and now you're at the point where it's like, there's there's no hope at that point. There was, uh, you know, there was something else that was making me pretty nervous too, which was like, I, I had grown up in, in a neighborhood that was not like the safest. Um, you know, there was just a lot of kind of bad things, whether it's drugs or violence or, or things like that. And so the first two kind of areas that I was in in Boston, um, South Boston, Dorchester, Roxbury, those are neighborhoods that are, um, they're not the safest neighborhoods, uh, in Boston. And, and, and that actually also kind of caused some, some, some stress, uh, for, for me and just kind of was another sort of weight on my shoulders. Uh, and I remember one time, this is when I was living in Roxbury, just having a little bit of a study session with my missionary companion, uh, in the morning before we began our day. And I wasn't really sure what was going on, but I just told him, I just need to pause for a minute. I really, I can't even proceed. I was, I I think I was feeling just sort of overwhelmed. Uh, And I actually excused myself. I left the room and I went into the bathroom and, and I, and, and for the first time, like in my life, um, the emotions just, just like flooded out of me. Um, I was just, crying. Um, and, and that, like I said, like I actually had not had that type of experience before. Um, (laughs) of course I had cried growing up as a kid, but, but in terms of like it hitting you in an unexpected way, um, you know, in, in a, in a moment like that, 
it was the first time. You know, to put things in perspective, like it's not like every day that I was in Boston was like a, a dreary kind of surreal bad dream day. N- not at all. Yeah. Um, there were so many good kind of happy days. And overall, it was a really sort of productive experience where I was talking to people. I was I was laughing. But like I've shared, it was there was this kind of this thread of really big challenge, I would say, um, and, 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 and stress and and anxiety. Um, just for the, some of the reasons that I've shared, I, I wouldn't be working in the office of the CEO today. I don't think uh, at Adobe if it actually weren't for that Boston experience. You probably run into these students at Harvard. Um, how did that help you? What did that do to push you forward? Yeah, so I was, um, you know, just trying to open my mouth, talk to as many people as possible about the church, and well, I ended up living near Harvard University, and so naturally, the people that I'd be talking with. As I would walk down the street or, you know, be at a subway stop and, and, and talking to people, um, they were, some of them were, were Harvard University students. You know, I, I, to this day, I remember very specific conversations. Um, I, I remember this one conversation with this, uh, with this uh, woman who was a, a Harvard Harvard student. Um, I, I don't remember the details of it, but I just remember having that interaction, which just in and of itself to me was significant because growing up in a t- kind of tougher neighborhood of San Jose, I had actually thought about Harvard, um, but I had concluded it just was not possible for me because like, I don't know anybody that goes there and, and, and my grades probably were not good enough. And so to even have just conversations, even though I don't remember the details of them, like that at that time to me, it was actually pretty significant because I was like, it was giving me that type of exposure. Um, and then there was another conversation that I remember a little more specifically. I, I remember what the guy was wearing. I remember, you know, what he looked like. Um, he was he was a, a student at uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, so MIT, which was another, it, it is another kind of prestigious university out there. Yeah. I remember the kind of the thought that I had after talking to him was, you know, I think I might be just as smart as these uh, students out here. <laughs> Uh, and so maybe I should start thinking about, uh, thinking bigger than just kind of what I had planned before my mission. Maybe, maybe I should start thinking about possibly going to a place like Harvard university, uh, in the future or, or MIT. And, you know, that, I don't think that that would have ever occurred to me, um, had I not had that Boston, um, experience and, and trying to talk to as many people as possible. So I did make it out to Portugal. Uh, it was after four and a half months in Boston. Okay. Which is so not cons- not too bad, but still. Well, I think long the time. average missionary was visa waiter was probably there one month, um, maybe up to okay. six weeks. Yeah, so to to wait four and a half months that is uh, was <laughs> much longer than average, um, and and it felt just as long as it was. <laughs> it actually felt longer, <laughs> but anyways, but yeah, in the grand scheme of things, four and a half months is nothing. It it really is, but um, you know, when you're in the middle of it, it didn't feel like that. So then in Portugal, um, actually towards the end of my mission, I had just a couple of months left. Elder Neil L. Anderson, who at the time was in the presidency of the European West area, uh, he came and visited uh, our mission and I was on an island at that time. He came out uh, with my mission president, Calvin Clegg and uh, sister uh, Gail Clegg, his wife. And um, basically they just did, you know, like a a training meeting um, led by Elder Anderson. Um, But he, in that training meeting, he told a story about how he, and, and hopefully I'm remembering this correctly. I don't mean to misrepresent it in any way, but how he basically um, 
you know, was given a, a specific assignment by his mission president when he had two months left in his mission. That assignment was different from what he is expecting, but he gladly accepted it. And then he completed his mission. Um, I think if I remember correctly, he was asked to stay a little bit longer past his mission sort of expiration date or end date. And I also was, I felt like I related to that. My, my end date was a few weeks after my, what I was expecting. And I was totally fine with that. But anyways, I just felt like there were some commonalities there that, and so his, his message on that particular day was, was especially poignant. But in this, in this training, he also said that, you know, a few years after his mission, he was applying to Harvard Business School <laughs> and, uh, and that he just felt as he was actually, as he was saying a prayer d- during a lunch break that he was having, he just felt sort of, a, you know, he, that, that he would probably end up um, being invented and, and being able to study at, at, in that business school. Once again, it was it was an eye-opening moment for me because it, it kind of took me back to Boston and it sort of it was sort of coming full circle to that Boston experience where I had had that realization in Boston that, hey, maybe I can go here. And then to be at the end of my mission and and feeling like I had done my best. And I felt like Heavenly Father was was pleased with with all of the effort that I had put in for the past two years. Um it it gave me I almost felt like I was being spoken to, like maybe I should actually pursue that um, after my mission. Before it was an idea. In Boston, it was an idea. But at the end of my mission, it started to become a plan. And, it, and, and that's what, uh, so, and it was in part because of uh, Elder Neil Anderson's visit. You came home from your mission and, and of course, Harvard, you went there to your MBA how long was that wait though? What, how long did it take to get there? Well, uh, so yeah, I mean, after my mission, I was at um, Rick's College for for three semesters. I earned my AA degree, and um, and then BYU another two, maybe three years. Uh, and then after BYU, I worked for for three years. But basically, I mean, I'm going to return home from my mission in '96. Um, I was back in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, in 2004. So. So, you know, eight years after I returned from my mission and 10 years, 10 years from, from when I was first in Boston. So it was just sort of a, it came full circle um, within a 10 year period of time. If you're, you're that person in 2004, looking back at 19 year old Ernie, what would you have said to him on his first night in the mission? (laughs) You know, I would say, hang in there. I would say, just put your head down and do what you can to uh, to be as good as you can, to be productive, to work, to stick with your plan. And and I would probably drop in a little hint too. I would probably say, <laughs> you know what? Things may actually turn out a lot better <laughs> than you might think. Yeah. Because <laughs> things have actually panned out a hundred times better than, than, than I expected. You know, I never expected any benefit really to come out of the, the Boston experience. That's not why I was doing it. Uh, and yet, and yet there were some, some pretty significant uh, blessings that came out of it. Oh, for sure. And just to echo what you said, I love the three words you used in your power to become talk detours are blessings. Yep. Um, and I've, and I've thought about that for a while now, um, over the past few weeks, like, okay, almost all detours, all of them couldn't be a blessing. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I might be convinced that 
all detours are blessings. You're just never going to know. Is it a blessing or is it a curse? I believe everything happens for a reason, especially in your situation, going to Boston and then 10 years later, you're there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a silver lining to everything. And Thomas S. Monson, former president of the church, used to say, if I, if I remember correctly, that, you know, most things do not happen by accident. Maybe maybe it didn't happen by accident. Regardless, there is normally something that we can learn from, from every experience. Yeah.